Welcome to Reddit Readings episode number 68, where we bring you the best Reddit stories and smash them directly into your ears. And as you can hear, we've made some upgrades around here. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as today we take you on a fantastic journey through r slash pro revenge. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Our first story today, posted by u slash Angel Guide Indie. He ruined my sister's only birth experience, so I made sure he'd never forget her. Kinda my revenge. Kinda my sister's. Both of us really proud. This is going to be long, so TLDR at the bottom. Here's our cast. My sister. We call her Sarah for the story. Sister's ex-boyfriend, Paul. Ex-boyfriend's new wife, Jane. Ex-boyfriend's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Doe. Oldest brother, Zeke. Our parents and me. When I was 14 and my oldest sister, Sarah, was 22 we found out that she was pregnant with Paul, her boyfriend of four years. They immediately got engaged, and they were really happy for a time. Sarah had a horrible pregnancy. About 16 to 18 weeks in, the wonder of creating a human life evaporated within her. She developed hypermesis, which if you don't know is really bad morning sickness. She was constantly in pain. She developed gestational diabetes and just all around hated the experience. Around this time, Paul, the then fiancé, started getting sick of the complaining. I believe the argument was, your body's built to do this, it can't be that hard. Sarah was due around Valentine's Day and Paul's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Doe, were very excited, both about the grandkid and the fact that he could be born on a holiday. She was very against that and really, really hoped that her son wouldn't be born on a holiday, even one as small as Valentine's Day. Her birthday sometimes falls on Easter and she hates it because it might make him feel that his day isn't very much about him. Well, Mrs. Doe says something like, Well, If you name him Valentine or Valentino, then that'll make the day even more special for him. Again, sister hated the idea. She thought it was tacky. He'd be bullied for it, and just really didn't like the name Valentino. Paul loved it, but agreed to go with a more average name like Daniel or Jared. Fast forward to February and she was ready to get this over with. Sarah had officially been put on bed rest because while standing or walking, her blood pressure took unexpected spikes and dips. I look back now, and goodness do I feel bad for her. She was doing her best to avoid giving birth on Valentine's Day because, again, 
she didn't want him born on a holiday. Unfortunately, births happen when they happen, and that baby was gonna come on Valentine's Day whether she wanted him to or not. I remember waiting outside in the waiting room with my dad, brothers, and Paul, who couldn't stand to be in the delivery room because it was gross. I was so mad that he could have gone in but wouldn't because he thought my sister was gross while giving birth, whereas I had to stay outside because I was too young to go in with my mum and other sister. Dad went home with the youngest two brothers while the oldest, Zeke, stayed to watch me because I refused to leave. Sixteen hours after Sarah went into labour, my little nephew was officially part of the family on the evening of Valentine's Day. Unfortunately, Sarah was not okay. She had to have an emergency caesarean section and while doing the operation, discovered that the back of her uterus, facing the spinal cord, had a very large and very severe, thankfully non-cancerous, tumour. When I say large... I mean, it was twice the size of a standard uterus. The doctors were shocked and didn't understand why nobody had noticed it on the ultrasound. It accounted for her severe back pain and blood pressure issues. The doctors immediately went in for more surgery to remove the tumour, but sadly ended up having to perform a full hysterectomy. This meant that my new nephew would be Sarah's only child. Now, while Sarah was in for surgery, Paul was taking care of everything baby-related to make sure his son was okay. In my 14-year-old self's memory, I remember him being suitably distraught, but I didn't really pay him much mind and spent my time in the waiting room with my mother and other sister. Zeke, however, wanted to be a good future brother-in-law and make sure that Paul was okay. He found Paul filling out the baby paperwork on his own, looking, in my brother's words, like he had not a single worry in his mind. Zeke asked why Paul didn't wait for Sarah to fill out the paperwork, as she should have been out of surgery within the hour, and Paul said he just wanted to let her rest and heal. That checked out with Zeke, as he was only 16 and didn't know any better at the time. Now I know what you're probably thinking. No, he wouldn't. He knows how much she hates that name. And still, she'd need to sign the paperwork too. My fellow peoples have read it. I regret to inform you that Paul forged Sarah's signature on the paperwork and waited until she was out of surgery to hand said paperwork over. My sweet nephew, that was born on Valentine's Day, was named Valentino on his first official birth certificate. I still, to this day, don't know why Paul and his family were so insistent about the name. He'd even picked out a different one with my sister. And before you ask, no, he was never brought up on forgery charges because his parents were witnesses to her signing the papers, even though they only got there at the last minute. So Sarah dumped him and got her son's name changed a month later. She was willing to do split custody with him because that's her son's father and she wants the kid to know him. But Paul vanished and she never heard anything back, which seemed weirdly out of character to us. Until a mutual friend on Facebook was tagged in his wedding picture six months later. 
Paul, had apparently started cheating on her not long after she got pregnant. Sarah was livid, but there wasn't much she could do, so she filed for child support and continued to live her best life. Until six years later. This is where the revenge starts, my friends. So Sarah has been a single mother for the past six years and has been amazing at it. At this point in my career, I've been a hairdresser for about eight months at our local Great Clips. I'm working one day, and who's seated before me but Jane, Paul's wife herself. I take her back for a trim, and she clearly has no idea who I am. That adds up because a mutual friend that still keeps in contact with Paul said that Jane doesn't know a thing. She has no idea about Sarah, that she was the other woman, or that Paul actually had a kid that he's been infrequently paying child support for. She's in the dark on it all. I told myself not to be an arse and treat her like a normal customer, which I did. Now, at this point, Jane was heavily pregnant, so a lot of our conversation was about that. She loved being pregnant, but it was hard. Her husband was so unsympathetic. Big shocker there. And she was due in 10 weeks, and they still hadn't picked out a name for their baby girl. Ladies and gentle peoples, this was my chance. I asked what kind of name she was looking for, and she said, I want something unique and unusual, but not ridiculous like Brainentalilili. You know the ones I'm talking about. And Paul had suggested so many already, and she didn't like any of them. So I, conniving little weasel I am, said, What about Sarah? My sister's name isn't actually Sarah. She was named after an older family member that passed not long after she was born. But there was no female equivalent for his name, so our parents created one. It's a beautiful name, and just what Jane was looking for. She loved it. She stuck by it. And I found out by stalking her Facebook months later that she'd put her foot down about it. And that was their daughter's name. Now... Paul has a daughter with his ex's name to remind him every day about her and to also remind him to pay his fucking child support. Little nephew is 10 years old now with a new name and no contact with his biological father, though we do still sometimes call him Val as a family nickname. He likes it but doesn't want to bring it to school so it's staying a family nickname. Sarah pretends to hate when we call him that in a joking way. As long as he likes it, she doesn't have a problem with it. And she's seeing a new guy who's really great and like a father to Val. TLDR. My sister's baby daddy forged her signature on paperwork while she was in surgery to name their son a name that she'd been avidly against from the beginning, then broke all contact when she dumped him and married the girl he was cheating on her with while she was pregnant. Six years later... I meet his wife and convince her to name their daughter my sister's name because the wife has no idea my sister and her son exist. Edit. Gosh, now I know what they mean about RIP inbox. 
Thank you to the kind strangers for all the awards, especially the gold. We did not expect this to blow up like it did. Val wanted to let all you other Valentine's babies know that he feels your pain. Well, guys, you'll have to let me know. What do you think is the worst possible name for a baby? Valentino's not too bad, but it is kind of an Italian name, I guess. You'll also have to let me know how much you'd be willing to pay for a picture of Paul's face when his new wife came home and went, Hey, honey, I've got the perfect baby name. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Next story. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's not your car, lady. Posted from u slash 360 Entertainment. So this happened around 2008. My buddy Brock had gotten out of the military after 10 years. He'd started in the Marines but transitioned into the Army for the last four years before buying a house in Texas. When he got out, he did a variety of jobs before landing a gig with a repo service. He worked there for a year and had a lot of wild stories. But this one sticks out most of all as he helped a fellow soldier get revenge on an evil ex. Brock was at the office speaking with his manager, whom I'll refer to as Karen. Now, this particular Karen had a lot of Karen-like qualities, but was a force for good, if you can believe that. While they were talking, they see a young man enter the office. They immediately noticed he had two black eyes and an arm was in a sling. The young man, whose name I unfortunately never learned, but I'll call Ben, asked how hard it could be for them to help repossess his car. Karen called her daughter in, Karen Jr., and had her poor Ben a cup of coffee. Karen then asked Ben to tell her a story. Ben began by telling her that he just returned from a deployment. He'd been dating a local girl that lived outside the famous Fort Hood. Not a good idea, by the way, before the deployment. Thanks to a previous deployment, he'd managed to get himself a used black Dodge Charger, which was his baby. He further explained that shortly after buying the car, he'd met the local girl, who, for the sake of the story, I'll call Morgan. Morgan was always asking to drive his car but he would always decline. When he was getting ready for his deployment, Morgan repeatedly asked if she could borrow the car, but he kept saying no. After much more needling, he relented, but on the condition that she take care of his apartment until he comes back from rest and relaxation leave. She agreed. Ben left for his deployment while Morgan took care of his place. When Ben came back for leave, he found his apartment immaculate. He pulled his car from storage, drove to Morgan's. He spent a few days with her before handing her the keys 
and heading to his home state to visit his family before returning to his deployment. He returned again from his deployment and found nothing but trouble. When he walked into his apartment, he found a layer of dust on just about every surface. It was almost like no one had been there in months. When he checked his bedroom, he'd found his room had been torn apart. All of his drawers had been searched and upturned. He tried to call Morgan, but never received an answer. He located his safe, which was hidden, and found it hadn't been touched. He then grabbed his spare key from the safe, called a buddy of his, and they went to Morgan's. As they pulled up to Morgan's, he saw a car there that he initially didn't recognize. But as they got closer, he realized it was his baby. Morgan had painted the car hot pink and put 24-inch spinners on it. He tried the key just to make sure, and the lights flickered as it unlocked. While his buddy laughed, Ben went to the front door, and Morgan answered. He asked what happened to his car, and she responded, It's my car now. Ben walked away and hopped in his hot pink mess. As he started it, four large dudes came out of Morgan's house, one with a baseball bat, and yanked Ben out of his car. They proceeded to beat the crap out of him in the driveway before his friend intervened, pulling his concealed carry pistol on the group. He then took Ben to the hospital. I'm honestly not sure if the cops were called on this. I'd assume yes, but even then, Ben said his friend drove by Morgan's house a handful of times while he was at the hospital at random times, and the car was never there. Karen stared at Ben for a bit longer before asking for the paperwork. Ben handed it to her, and Karen had a smile form on her face. She then asked Ben for Morgan's phone number. Ben gave it, but wasn't aware of what was about to happen. Karen handed the phone to Karen Jr., who then dialed the number. Karen Jr. then began speaking to Morgan, telling her that they'd met at one of the local clubs and wanted to know if she was down to party that night. Apparently, Morgan agreed, and a plan was set. Brock parked his tow truck at the club and waited. Sure enough, Morgan showed up with the pink monster, parked it and went inside with some girlfriends. Brock gave them five minutes before he stealthily drove up to the car and hooked it up. As he was pulling out with a pink monster, Morgan walked out of the club. She saw her car in the tow truck and began trying to flag Brock down, but he was already out of there. The next day, it was business as usual at the office when Morgan called. She was furious that her car was stolen by them and wanted it back. Karen, using her best customer service voice, told her if she had the registration, she could come and pick it up. Morgan began screaming louder that she was going to call the cops, at which point Karen sarcastically told her, please do, then hung up on her. As this phone call was going on, Brock happened to look out the window and saw Morgan standing next to a car in a vacant lot, throwing what appeared to be a temper tantrum. After Karen hung up, Brock watched her get in the car on the passenger side. Karen then looked out the window and had Brock verify it was her. She then began to smirk. 
Karen then proceeded to call the owner of the property Morgan and her boyfriend were occupying. She told the owner about the car and asked if she wanted it towed. The owner okayed it. Brock then drove his truck over to the ladies in the car and introduced himself. They tried to explain that they were waiting for Morgan's boyfriend, but Brock insisted they weren't allowed to park there. They argued and called him every name in the book. Brock then hooked their car up and lifted it partially off the ground, forcing the two to exit the vehicle. They tore into him until he showed them the tow order. While this back and forth was going on, Ben arrived at the office and Morgan saw him walk in. She ran to the office door and Brock proceeded to lower the car. When Brock went back to the office, all hell had broken loose. Morgan apparently tried to snag the keys back from Ben, but he pocketed them. She began to hit him in his hurt arm and warned Ben that she'd call her friends to finish the job if she didn't get her keys back. Karen Jr. had already called the cops at this point and Brock got in between Ben and Morgan, even telling Morgan to try hitting him to find out what would happen. Morgan then tried to play the pity card and said she only wanted the keys to get her laptop out for school. Karen asked Ben to hand the keys over to Brock so he could grab the laptop. Brock retrieved the laptop from the car, and as he was handing it over, she rushed to aggressively grab it but knocked it from Brock's hands. Completely furious at this point, Morgan accused Brock of dropping the computer on purpose and threatened to sue. The cops then arrived, and Morgan began her sob story again, telling the police that they stole her car. The police questioned Karen, and Karen gave a casual smirk while asking if they wanted to see the security videos. The police watched and listened as Morgan punched Ben several times and heard the threats she made about sending her friends after him. The police then turned to Morgan, who had turned ghost white by this point. She tried and tried to back her way out of the door, but the police stopped her. They proceeded to ask her about the car, Ben's injuries, and who she was planning on sending after him. She initially denied everything, but they already had evidence on her beating him up. She was arrested, and Ben got his car back. After the cops left, Ben admitted he didn't want to be seen in a car that looked like it was advertising Pepto-Bismol and planned on trading it for a GTO. We later heard, through the grapevine, that the four guys who beat up Ben were arrested, Morgan had ratted them out. Brock had a few more stories, but none of them were nearly as good as this one. TLDR Evil girlfriend tried to steal a car from her boyfriend had him beat up, but a friendly Karen helps to get it back. Edit Wow, thanks for all the support guys. I love that so many have enjoyed this story. So I've had a few people try to refute this story and I assure you this story is true. I have no reason to lie to anyone about this. Also, some people are asking how this is considered pro-revenge. While Ben didn't personally get the revenge, Karen was the instrument of Morgan's destruction. She set Morgan up to lose the car after Ben and his friend couldn't locate it on their own. Morgan's fate was more or less her own doing. She, believing that she could strong-arm an injured man with multiple witnesses while making threats. Also, 
while gang activity was fairly high in the Killeen, Texas area, I'm not 100% sure on if they were connected to any gangs. I just wanted to throw that last part out there. Well, I've got to say, if I came back from anywhere and found my car had been painted pink, I'd be pretty pissed, especially if some tart had tried to nick it. I've also got to say, for some reason, obviously it was a new charger in the story because it has remote locking, but in my mind, it was one of the original chargers, one of the old ones, which is even more of a sin to put spinners on or paint pink. Anyway, that will be the end of today's episode. I hope you liked it. I hope you liked the new format. You'll have to let us know. Make sure that you subscribe to the RSS feed on Spotify, iTunes, wherever it is you follow your podcasts. You can get a hold of us on redditreadings.com. If you haven't already, make sure you go there and subscribe to our feed so you don't miss the next episode, which hopefully is coming out next Tuesday. Peace out. See you in the next episode. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. True terrors of horror. Bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.